It's been a really strange offseason. Vis-a-vis dogs running onto the field. You made it. We're not sabermetricians. That's all behind us now. Yeah, I got in trouble, but it was worth it. It was totally worth it. It was worth it. Totally worth it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Flushing Transit Authority, a New York Mets podcast. This is Will Stegman. Um, Today, my normal co-host, Jay Bushman, is not here with me. However, he will be joining us um, shortly. This is a very special episode for reasons that Jay will get into shortly. Um, But let's talk about the Mets very briefly. Um, Who are the Mets right now? After a really um, upbeat and exciting first two weeks of the year, the Mets have uh, regressed to the mean. And the mean for the New York Mets right now is they are currently four games over 500, three and a half games back behind the surprising division-leading Atlanta Braves, although only two games back in the loss column. Um, Philadelphia is still between the Mets and Atlanta, while the Nationals and Mets are currently jockeying between third and fourth place, with the Miami Marlins bringing up uh, the back of the pack. So, who are the Mets? Are they the team that started out 10-1, and one, or are they the team that has scuffled over the last, now, four weeks of the season? Um, and I think the answer is, of course, the Mets are both. We know that the Mets were not as good as they were when they went 10-1, and one, and they are not as bad as their record would suggest over the last couple of weeks. As is often the case with the Mets, and the Mets fans, like ourselves, we tend to overanalyze and overexaggerate um, each game. And when I say we, I'm talking specifically about me. I do this. You guys are all pretty good about it. So where are we? Again, we're at a point in the season where it's too early. It's too late to call it early, and it's too early to call it late. We're about 40 games, 41 games into the year, um, and there's still a lot of baseball to be played. So for right now, I'm trying to still take the long view and tell myself, we're still in the hunt here. We're still, we've got a chance to make the postseason if we get some breaks, if we stay healthy. And look, here I am saying we. I'm fully aware that I am not playing for the Mets although I still hold out hope that I might get called up before the end of the year. Um, What I'm trying to do with these games on a day-to-day basis, though, is, you know, root for the win, but still try to enjoy it while it's going on. And sometimes you get rewarded. Like, you get that 13-strikeout performance by Jacob deGrom um, that we saw just, you know, two nights ago. We get Michael Conforto breaking out, you know, coming out of his cage and feeling just fine. It's terrific. Um, Love to see Scooter doing well. We um, get some of those little joys that you get of being a Mets fan, like finding out that there's now a a, uh, hot dog cart in the the locker room somewhere. Um, And, you know, you just get the simple pleasure of sitting down to watch a game on a Sunday and hearing Gary Keith and Ron call, you know, call a day game. You know, it's a, it's a Sunday in May, and the best thing that I could possibly hope to do on a Sunday in May is 
sit down and watch the Mets win a game. And I did that today, and it was terrific. And I'm not the only one who did that today. My co-host, Jay Bushman, um, was at City Field today, which is why he's not here with me um, in Los Angeles. So we jokingly say, Jay was at Flushing Transit Authority East. I'm holding down the fort here at Flushing Transit Authority West. And because Jay went back home, he's got a surprise for us. Jay Bushman sat down and spoke with um, two people who are very near and dear to his life, uh, the two people who are responsible for Jay being a Mets fan. So you're going to, in a few moments, sit down and listen to Jay have a great conversation um, with his parents, who are wonderful people and have got some great things to say about their history with the team and Jay's history with the team. I hope that you enjoy it, and I will be back to um, talk a little bit more about who the Mets are and what we hope for over the next months, weeks. Hopefully we get a lot of wins, but I'm going to hand it over to Jay now so he can introduce you to his mom and dad. We're here with a very special presentation from the Flushing Transit Authority. If you remember those old um, uh, TV shows that would have like the CBS specials where the logo would like swirl around in color around the sea, like that before before Emmett Otter's Drug Band Christmas or like a Snoopy special. That's this except from the Flushing Transit Authority. We're an authority, we have the authority to do special presentations. So this is a special presentation of the Flushing Transit Authority. Uh, I am here. I am Jay Bushman, one of the co-hosts, um, and I am here at Flushing Transit Authority East um, with uh, two very special guests, my parents, uh, Dave and Jesse Bushman, and we have just finished spending a lovely Sunday afternoon at City Field watching the Mets beat the Diamondbacks 4-1. to one. Um, sweep the series. Sweep the series. Um, had a great time was had by all, um, or at least by us. <laughs> Um, and now we're going to spend a little time talking about uh, their history with the Mets. Uh, uh, we like to say on the podcast that we, we're really interested in the narrative and the story and, and you know, the individual stories about how people relate to uh, their sports team of their choice. And so I am really interested to hear. I have heard some of these stories growing up my whole life, but I am really interested uh, to have them share with uh, with you, the audience, um, some of these uh, some of these memories. So, mom, dad, thanks so much for being on the Flushing Transit Authority. Um, and I guess the first uh, the first question that I would love to hear um, who you guys answer is: uh, Both of you grew up in the Bronx. Both of you grew up in Yankees territory. So, how and why did you become Mets fans and not Yankee fans? I have been asked that question over and over and over again to this day. And the answer was growing up uh, in the Bronx, um, I was a Yankee fan. My family was a Yankee fan. Uh, my Aunt Min was in love with Mel Allen, who was the announcer for the Yankees. Uh, we went to Yankee games all the time. And uh, my friends were pretty much evenly divided between uh, Yankee fans, Giant fans, and Dodger fans, and we would have constant discussions and well, call them discussions. Discussions, yes. Uh, call them discussions yes. as to 
uh, who was better, Mickey Mantle, Duke Snyder, or Willie Mays? Um, but 1962 came along, and the Mets sounded like a team that attracted me. Um, I've said many times to uh, in later years that uh, rooting for the Yankees was like rooting for General Motors or, or IBM. Uh, I know people who, if the Yankees went 161-1, and one, they would still complain about something. That doesn't happen today at <laughs> all. That, 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 that hasn't changed at all, has it? Right. Not at all. So um, the Mets were an interesting cast of characters back in 1962, and uh, they had some baseball players who were, shall we say, a little past their prime, but very well known. I mean, people like Willie Mays um, and, and, and other people. And of course, Casey Stengel was uh, amusing. So I don't know exactly what it was, except they weren't the Yankees. Mm. And uh, rooting for the Mets made it mine as opposed to something I inherited from my, my family. Did um, it cause any division or strife when you went over to the other side? Uh, no, uh, but I was uh, very often the receiver of uh, lots of derisive comments and, and jokes about uh, you know the gang that couldn't hit straight. So again, not much has changed. Not much has changed. Not much Except has changed. for this weekend. It's a pretty good weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Mom, how about you? How did your relationship with this, with the New York Mets start? Well, my family did not follow baseball as a child. I had never been to any games. I don't think we followed any sports. Uh, my relationship with the Mets starts from uh, the fact that Ed Cranepool, one of the original Mets, uh, graduated from James Monroe High School in 1962, which was the year my oldest sister graduated from James Monroe High School. She tells the story of being at a, uh, a party with Ed Cranepool in her sophomore, possibly junior year, where they played spin the bottle, remember Ooh, that? Yeah. And then she actually got to kiss him. Do you have to explain the game spin no, the look bottle? It up no, on they, Google. Can, they can Google spin the bottle so if, they, if they need to. I was a sophomore at James Monroe High School when uh, Crane Pool graduated, and it was a really big deal in the school. It brought a great deal of fame and a great deal of pride to the school, and that was my introduction to the Mets. And when I started dating your father in 1965, um, I think it was our third date, we went to a Mets game. And mm -hmm. so I picked up a love of them and an appreciation of the game through him. Uh, in 1968, I actually became a teacher at James Monroe High School, and I used to carpool to work with Joe Consagra, who was the baseball coach at James Monroe High School uh -huh. and trained Ed Cranepool. So Ed Cranepool was my first entry into to loving this ragabond group of, uh, <laughs> of baseball players. So that was 65, so then you never, um, you would never have gone to see a game at the Polo Grounds. Did you ever see yeah. a game at the Polo Grounds, Dad? Yes. Uh, what was that like? It was um, interesting. I think we might have seen one game at the Polo Grounds because they didn't get to uh, 64 Shea until 
was it 64? 64 and, and maybe maybe we didn't yeah, start we did but I, I remember 64. I remember one particular game um, they were they were playing I guess it was the the daughter Frank Howard mm-hmm. who was uh, this huge presence of, of a player and I remember we were sitting in the uh, upper left field stands and uh, I don't remember who the pitcher for the Mets was I guess it didn't matter but um, Frank Howard hit a ball that cleared uh, above us and was still going straight when it left the stadium it was like I did, we, we just sat there and went you know with our mouths open <laughs> we couldn't say anything um, it was, it was interesting because being at the polo grounds was like a, a part of history. It, it was, um, it was the place where Willie Mays made that a, mm-hmm. amazing catch. And yeah. so being there was like, uh, connecting with, with baseball history. And, uh, it was and, exciting to see the Mets there, but we also heard that the Mets were building this new stadium. We were very excited uh, about uh, couldn't couldn't wait for the when was happen. when was the first game do you remember the first game you saw at Shea probably not mm-hmm. <laughs> it was uh, it was a long long time yeah. ago um, but did you do you know if you went that first year oh I'm sure I went the first year um, in from 1960 to 65 um, I worked during the summers at a place called Freedomland, mm-hmm. which was an amusement park in the North Bronx. Um, and uh, during my days off, uh, I would go to baseball games. When I was working there, um, I had a, a group of friends who were also Mets fans, and we would we would talk about the Mets, and we would listen to Mets games when we could. Mm. Uh, on the radio, um, but I don't remember the first time I was actually there. One of the things that impressed me about Shea Stadium is that it wasn't Yankee Stadium. The old Yankee Stadium had pillars, mm-hmm. these huge metal pillars. And I remember getting tickets one time for the Yankee Stadium, and the seat was behind the pillar. Mm-hmm. So basically, I was leaning all the way to the left or all the way to the right, trying to see the game and uh, Shea Stadium didn't have any pillars so that was a marvel of the western world when (laughs) it opened how quickly that that turned have uh, have told uh, told me and uh, my sister over the years is that sometimes you divide the um, divide history into BC and AC BC being before children and AC being after children um, I was born in 1972. My sister was born in 1976. So um, I'd love to hear some of your favorite Mets-related memories, both from the BC era and then also the AC era. Tom Siva. Tom Siva, Tom Siva, Tom Siva. It was probably my first introduction, aside maybe from Joe Namath, of following someone who was so extraordinary and so charismatic charismatic that I actually read the sports sections mm. about him. Uh, those first original Mets, some of them were real quirky and interesting. Cleon Jones and 
Well, he comes later. My, he comes uh, later on the 60s. Mar- Marv Throneberry, marvelous Marv <coughs> Throneberry. Uh, one of the great things about the early Shea um, fans is particularly the, the one gentleman who always had signs. And the signs were more than just, you know, you know let's go Mets or anything. They were witty. They were intelligent. And one sign that he held up, and I'll never forget this, uh, was... Uh, Marv Throneberry, twice as good as the ancient mariner, he stoppeth two of three. <laughs> so I'm and guessing Marv Throneberry's defense was not all that wonderful. It lacked something. <laughs> there were also it, a lot of signs about Lenny Dystra, I remember. Also later on. Later on, yes. Yeah. Um, there was a woman who would come to the park in a wedding dress holding up right. a yes. sign yes. saying, marry me, Lenny. That's that was right. in the 80s. She that was dodged in the 80s. a bullet. Yes. But I do remember the game in 69 when they won the pennant, was The it? Uh, first year that there were playoff games in the division, mm-hmm. uh, the Mets were playing the Atlanta Braves in a three-game division series. And they won the first two games, and we went to the third game. Mm-hmm. And um, the Mets won the third game. And, and We ran out onto the field. We grabbed the grass. <laughs> yeah, yeah those, those were the days when they would still, you know, let you out on the field, mm-hmm. uh, obviously. Or they wouldn't stop you. It's, well, it's not so much letting you as, like, all these people are running, let's get out of the way. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, the, you know, if you did that today, you'd be tased. Yes. Uh, but we went out onto the field. And, what was that uh, like, being on the field? Exhilarating. It was, exhilarating. Yeah. And, um, like being at a rock concert. Mm-hmm. It was just exhilarating. One of the great things about being at Shea, or, or maybe at, at any sporting event, is uh, people around you. I mean, if you look at old newsreels uh, of... of uh, Games from the 30s and 40s and 50s. Uh, men wore suits, hats, to, ties, and, and hats. To, and but but here people were much more casual and uh, much more party like. Uh, party like, yeah. People would talk to each other mm-hmm. and share information, and uh, it was it was almost like a party atmosphere. It was like we went we were there to have fun. I mean, we knew in the early years the team wasn't going to be doing that well. But we were out there, you know, if it was a nice day, the weather was nice, we had some food, we mm-hmm. enjoyed the fresh air, um, and we watched the game and maybe the Vets would win, <laughs> and maybe they wouldn't. More likely they wouldn't. Yeah, in the yeah. early days. But uh, 1969 and, and that, that playoff game was, uh, was very special, because of course it was the first time the Mets uh, mm-hmm. made it. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the World Series. Where were you guys when the Mets won the World Series in 1969? What was what was that like? I remember the first game of the World Series. We were at a wedding. A wedding. And Joyce. we were listening. I, I may still have had a transistor radio back then. <laughs> and that was a game. Tom Seaver pitched game one and lost. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that. And um, they were playing Baltimore. And uh, I think Jerry Kuzman pitched game two and won. We watched it on television. We, we, uh, we didn't have enough money to get, get World Series tickets, uh, but we watched it on television. And uh, they swept the next four games. And oh, I remember that. They lost the first game and they 
swept the next, next floor. floor. Remember that. And uh, people were just uh, lost their minds. Celebrating. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, people were celebrating, and the, the parade in Manhattan, and everything. It was just Did you uh, go to the parade. No, 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 no. We watched it on we watched it on TV, mm -hmm. um, but it was. It was like the whole town went crazy. I mean, this was a this was a team that had the loser label on them, mm -hmm. uh, the incompetent the incompetent label on them for so many years, and it's like the under they were the underdog team that finally made it, and so many people could connect with it, that, which is why they weren't the Yankees mm -hmm. because the Yankees were expected to win. They had a tradition. They were great teams all those years. The Mets weren't, so this was something really special, and um, we got a lot out of it. <laughs> I don't remember any other specific games until '86. So, do you remember anything in between? Well, I was going to ask yeah. you about '73, about if you remember yeah. the Mets going to the World Series in '73 and yes, losing. They lost to Oakland. They were winning three games to two. They had to win one of the last two games, and I remember we were at your mother's apartment in Co-op City. Um, watching the game. game. I was undoubtedly taking care of my one-year-old baby, mm -hmm. Jay. Yeah, in 73, <laughs> right. And uh, watching the game and watching them blow the game and lose, uh, lose the series four to three. Mm -hmm. uh, it, was, it was heartbreaking. Um, but that, that's, that's my only memory of 1973. What are some other of your most kind of indelible memories when it comes to the Mets? Just 86, the mm -hmm. first day of the season and the, the glee and the joy we had in tricking you and your sister. That was 87. That would be 87. That was 87. Yes. Yeah. So off by a year. Yes. That one was my, that's my greatest memory. That yeah. day was so much fun. Yes. And I, I, I have told that story on the podcast before about being picked up. But for any new listeners who aren't, you know, flushing transit uh, completists, why don't, why don't you guys tell, tell the story? I remember the car. Was that our 86 Saab 9000 that we loved so remember. much? Yes, I remember the car. But we had told you <coughs> a story. You and Dana, your sister, we told you a story that uh, my parents were coming uh, from somewhere and they had to uh, change planes at LaGuardia or Kennedy, Kennedy. and we were going to see them because there was going to be a layover. So. Uh, we got into the car. We took we them pulled, out, of pulled us out of school. We took that you out of school. Yeah. Dana said, hold this... on, I need my pillow. Jay said, hold on, I need my Walkman. No, a book. I was reading or a book. book. Yeah. They, you were not looking forward to seeing your grandparents. This was opening day 1987. Mm -hmm. And we're driving and you're, you're sleeping. You're, you're reading. Dana is sleeping. napping. Uh, we're and driving. right at the overpass, right where you know, Shea Stadium was, we said, I think we have a flat. I think there's something wrong with the car. I hear a noise. Pull over, Dave. Let's see what it is. And we went around. It was a hatchback. We opened up the hatch, and we put on our Mets hats, and we came around, and we said, surprise! <laughs> we're going to opening day. And you and Dana just roll, rolled your eyes. Rolled our eyes. I wasn't <coughs> completely excited. Like I mean, you can see Dana yes. rolling I her eyes. I think first you were like annoyed, 
You know, you had prepped yourself for seeing your grandparents, and now you had to shift gears. But uh, I yeah, that was more a, likely. It took me a few minutes to believe that that that's actually what was happening. Well, when you looked up and sure, my, saw Shay Stadium, I, I do remember having a memory of like, oh, we're, we're really close to Shay. Oh, today's opening day. Wow, uh, it would be cool if we could go. Anyway, we got to go see the grandparents, and then surprise, yeah. surprise. Yeah, yeah, exciting. that was uh, that was a day. That, that was, awesome. was a fun day. I I remember. Um, Do you remember where we sat? No. They were probably cheap seats. Mm. We were broke. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the whole 86 uh, season was just the the kind of season. uh, I mean, they they were talking about the Mets clinching the division in May. Yeah. You know, I think it was uh, Whitey Herzog of the Cardinals after the Mets had swept them four games in May said, "No one's catching know, them." Yeah, no one's yeah. catching them, and uh, it was uh, it was the first time that I think I ever felt we own this. Mm-hmm. This is ours. Nobody's taking it away from us. We've got it. And then they lose the first two games. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, yes. let's go back to the playoffs with Houston oh. and Mike Scott. Mike Scott. Oh. Ex-Matt Mike Scott. Yes. Um, and the... Um, no, well, game six, of course, is, is memorable. But the specter was that if the Mets had lost game six, they would have to face Mike Scott in game seven. And uh, he I was have, unhittable. I have so many little kind of flashes of... They're, they're not full memories. They're just sort of little images from that year. One is... I believe this is 86. I believe we went to a game during the season. And we had... Somehow we had gotten field level seats. Yes. And I got sick. Yes. Yes. You got and that you had from to work. take me to... Yes. The, the like infirmary or the nurse's office you threw up I threw up maybe I ate something bad or yeah. whatever yeah. but but we missed a good chunk of the game because Dwight Gooden was pitching and that Howard day. Johnson hit two home runs I wow. remember yeah. Howard Johnson hit two home runs and I missed both of them because I was sick we had field level seats yeah. behind yes. the Mets dugout on, yes. the, on the on the on the first base side somebody yes. had given us those seats yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yes and I remember. Um, on that uh, game six of the playoffs, um, being at school uh, and rushing home in time for the ninth inning and thinking, oh, God, I've missed all this, and I rush home, and they're losing 3 nothing. And I, the minute I get home is the top of the ninth when they start the rally and they tie it, and then we watch the rest of the game. I remember, I think it's game, I can't remember now if it's game three or game four of the World Series, probably game four that I, I have this memory of being outside of the house washing the car with the game on a boombox and Daryl Strawberry hitting a home run. Or maybe that was game three when Lenny Dykstra hit I don't remember. It's one of those two games, but I remember you, me, and Dana were outside washing the car while that was happening. Those, those were days when... Those were times when uh, there were still afternoon games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they don't do that anymore. Yeah. Uh, but I remember, I think it was game five. I was in law school at the time in, in 1986. And I remember uh, driving to law school with my friend Denise. We were going to class at night and uh, listening to the game. 
and uh, sitting in the car listening. It may have been the 10th inning. Gary Carter got the winning hit. Um, that was game... So game f- four or five, I'm not sh- Game four. That was game yeah. four because they lost game five. Yeah. Gary game Carter. Four. Good memories of him, yeah. boy. Yeah. Game five, um, I was in ninth grade. So I remember I had to go to some sort of parent-teacher night thing that night because people from one of the certain classes were supposed to help run it. And so I had to miss the game. But there was a TV in one of the teacher's lounges and they like let us kind of pop in every so often and that's and they lost that game. And um, that was disappointing. And then I remember, um, I remember when they won... You let me have a Bartles and James wine cooler to celebrate. Like Ooh. there was one I, of those in the fridge. I think the statute and... of limitations is <laughs> yes. run on that. Thank you. Yes, that's eighty six. So what other what other what other kind of standout memories just about the Mets or related to the Mets do you guys have? Um, I remember um, going to City Field uh, the first time in. Liking it, I like. We liked it. It it, it, it was it was newer. It mm-hmm. was it wasn't Shea. That's right. And uh, well, one of the things I remember about Shea, one of the things that I had liked about the original idea, is that Shea held fifty five thousand people. The original plan was to put a dome on the stadium and fill in the other thirty thousand seats in mm-hmm. center field. That never happened. A dome stadium would have been fantastic, yeah. but it never happened. And that's one of the big dis- big disappointments about uh, Shea. And then uh, Shea got old, and uh, <laughs> yes, it did, and and didn't didn't uh, wear itself well. No. So City Field was a, a real treat. It was it was new. Like a lot of the stadiums uh, were new. They were different. Um, they were more expensive, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, we tried out. I remember um, we had decided you had bought originally season tickets. Yes. Sunday afternoon games. Yeah, I bought season well. tickets in 1998. 1998 or 1999 was the first year that I bought a pack. It was something like a seven pack. A Sunday, a Sunday pack. Um, I don't remember if it was that specifically a Sunday yeah. pack. It was just a. It was the smallest package you could buy at that yeah. time, and we knew that there were negotiations for a new stadium. And my thought process was get on the season ticket track as quickly as you can because then you'll get an opportunity to get tickets for the new ballpark, Good. which will be much more expensive and harder to get. Um, and I remember. Um, and one of the other things about that was, hey, the Mets seemed to be pretty good in the late 90s. And if you get a season, if you have a season ticket package, you have the ability to buy postseason tickets before anyone else. So when they went to the playoffs in 2000, so it must have been 2000. It's been yeah. 99 or 2000 because I didn't get playoff tickets in 99. But when 2000 rolled around, I was able to get tickets for the NLCS right. and I was able to buy two World Series tickets right. so one of my favorite even though 2000 was a rough right. World Series loss one of the, my favorite things about that was I was able to bring you dad to a World Series game 
And that was really important to me. Yeah, that uh, that game was uh, was fun. Um, I just had a memory and I just lost it. I'll have to come back. I was just oh, I remember. Of... Um, Nineteen eighty-five, I believe. We had taken you and Dana to a U two concert. The Nassau Coliseum. At Nassau Coliseum. That would have been eighty six, probably. No, it wasn't eighty six because the Mets were uh, in contention for. Oh, then it would have been fall eighty five. Yeah, yeah, they were in contention and they wound up losing the last uh, uh-huh. couple of days. But um, we were listening to the game in in the car on uh, the end of the game on the way home, and uh, they lost. And so that was a that was a pretty big disappointment. Yeah, but that U two concert is, is <laughs> full of a lot of stories for yeah. another podcast. Well, we got a whole other podcast for that, <laughs> that one. Um, I was also reminded of I think was it your your fiftieth birthday party where I we showed up and surprised you at the. You remember we used to. So for for the for the audience. We all used to do. We don't do this that much anymore since uh, both me and my sister are on the West Coast and they're on the East Coast. But when we were all on the East Coast, there was a kind of a regular occurrence where one of us would just show up and surprise the other ones at places where they didn't expect to be. Um, I remember one year for uh, Dana's birthday, you got her tickets to see, was it Spamalot? Yep. And got an extra ticket and we didn't tell her I was coming and I just like showed up at the theater. And I remember one year, I, th- I think it was your, I think it was for your 50th birthday where you guys went to Shea and I just walked up behind you and was like, hi, is the seat taken? And uh, I had actually, I think I had come in from L.A. for that one. Yes. Um, yes. I believe we saw some no, pictures. No, that was tw- 25 years ago. No? Okay. When Dad was 50, so no. 60th then? No, we had a party. We had a party. Then. We had come in for a party. I came that in from was, L.A. for... All right. Whatever. It was yeah. something. <laughs> yeah. It was something. But but I'm going to see if I can dig up that picture um, and we can post it for uh, on the Twitter account because I have dyed blonde hair in that, which is a rare look for me. Um, Not yes. as rare as your turquoise hair. That's a whole other podcast. That's okay. a whole other podcast. So when you moved to L.A. full-time, 2002, uh, Dad and I took over your uh, season tickets, season tickets yeah. for a couple of years and uh, sat in different locations around the stadium. And um, I found that I really could not get involved in the game unless I was sitting in really good seats. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. it just yeah. well, just didn't hold me. Mm-hmm. Um, and for quite a few years, uh, we had a small Sunday afternoon package, and then the prices became outrageous. But it did afford us going to the postseason, what year, 2015, mm-hmm. where we went to the playoffs. Playoffs. In winter clothes, mm-hmm. it was so... We had pictures of us in scarves and long underwear and I was and wearing thermal... Thermal underwear, that's how cold it and was. And we did go to a... They lost the World Series. Yeah, we, lost, series, we went to Game we 5 to of the World game. Series. That was an extraordinarily exciting time to be there for those yeah. days. Absolutely extraordinary. And then after that, we gave up our season tickets. And now when we find a nice day that we go, we just get really good seats. <laughs> and, uh, and well, what happened was um, 
They used to have a a 10-pack. Mm -hmm. You could buy a 10-pack for Friday games, a 10-pack for Saturday games, a 10-pack for Sunday games. And we always got the Sunday games because they were mm -hmm. afternoon games. Um, then, uh, and I remember the first year that City Field opened, um, you and I had a conversation um, about where we should get uh, seats. And you said, it might be interesting to get seats in fair territory. Yeah, that was a big mistake. Yeah, well, so we did. We got <laughs> seats in out in left field. Yeah, uh, in uh, the second deck section uh, three thirty five, I think it was, and uh, it was you know like watching a game from three miles away. I remember when uh, when I turned seventeen and I had a driver's license for the first time. Something I did a couple of times was I drove down to Shea, and if you bought a subway uh, uh, token uh, from one of the ramps, you could like walk up um, uh, a set of stairs and you could stand on this ramp and you would get this very tight sliver of a view down the right field line between the scoreboard and the end of the stands and you could see home plate. But it was just this really narrow view, really, really far away. That's what those seats were like. They were like, oh my God, this is so far away, I can't see anything. Well, it was a great idea in theory to be in fair territory. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I remember, I don't remember who it was, but somebody, somebody on the Mets hit a home run in that section like nobody mm -hmm. had ever done it yeah. before. Yeah. Um, but we didn't get the ball. Uh, and then the following year, we decided we wanted to be closer. So, so the only seats we could afford were up on section 500 Five. section, which is the, nose, the nosebleed seats. Mm -hmm. So we were closer to home plate uh, in terms of angle. Ants. I was yeah. watching yeah. ants. But we were all the way up, and yeah. we had to climb stairs. You know, Dodger Stadium is like that. If you sit in the top yeah, deck of Dodger good. Stadium, you can't, you, you're so high up. And that was one of the things I always loved about Shea is that you could get box seats or like front row reserve of the upper deck behind home plate pretty inexpensively, yeah. and they were great seats. Well, you can't do that at City Field. Yeah. One no. thing I have to say about City Field, what was it, three years ago that you had foot surgery? Yeah. I think that was the last year that we had a season pass, mm -hmm. and Dad had foot surgery and was in a wheelchair, and uh, I schlepped him out to the stadium, and we went to the office each time, and they treated us like royalty. Mm -hmm. They took us in elevators, they offered to bring us food, wow. they gave us wonderful handicap seats, I think they were better than our regular seats, and uh, maybe we should just keep going in a wheelchair. <laughs> maybe. You know, maybe. Maybe that's the secret to it. They were really uh, quite wonderful to us. Okay. So 2015, mm -hmm. the Mets are in the playoffs against the Dodgers mm -hmm. at Dodger Stadium. Yes. And I came out to Los Angeles, and you in got... 2015? Yeah. No. That was in 2015, because 2015... Um, they had three games in LA, and uh, I went to all three of them with Bronwyn. And I went to the Did third you? game. We had for, we had seats on the first row of the of, You're of not, the second. No, not 2015. Another year, not 2015. I don't remember the last oh. time. Yeah, was that 2006? That's, That's a, a big difference. That 2006 is a big difference. to 2015. Yeah, I don't remember. 
I don't know if it was. All right, uh, audience, we're going to get to the bottom of this yeah. and we'll get back to you. But I'm I do remember that, it was uh, 2015. Uh, that was uh, the Mets swept the Dodgers yeah. in, in three games. That was the third game. The Mets went out to a, at a very early lead. Yeah, that was in 2015. The Mets, went, the Mets and Dodgers went five games in 2015. And okay. the, that was the, the, the year that um, Chase Utley broke uh, Ruben Tejada's leg. Um, yeah, we're, all right, we'll, we'll get to the bottom <laughs> of this. Um, um, so we've already mentioned Tom Seaver and Gary Carter, but are there un- marvelous Marv Throneberry? Are there other Mets players throughout the history of the franchise that Strawberry. have been really, yeah. that you felt really kind of had a, were important to you? Or? Mom has... Mom, of a couple for a couple of years, the last couple oh, of years. Oh, Curtis Grandison. Yeah. Her, that Curtis Grandison made me happy. He so many times got a run in the first inning, and I knew he was doing it just for me. <laughs> I was heartbroken when he got traded. Yes. He was my boyfriend. And <laughs> he took. He made me happy. I yes. miss him greatly. We are. This podcast is a you know pro Curtis Granderson zone. We are we are very very positive on on Curtis Granderson in all forms. Yeah, yeah. One, one of the uh, people I enjoy uh, <coughs> being a Met uh, was Ricky Henderson. Um, Ricky Henderson. Ricky. I mean, primarily for his leadoff role. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has more leadoff home runs. By far, I think like 81, I don't remember, but 81. But it was always a thrill to watch him, even though he was, I would say, pretty much past his prime by the time mm-hmm. he joined the Mets. Uh, the, other, um, the other player that I really liked was Mookie. Uh, Mookie, Mookie, was awesome. Mookie was just, uh, I love to play, I'm here to play, let's play. And... Um, it was always it was always a thrill to watch him. And then there was Strawberry and Doc Gooden. Yeah. Those were great years when those guys were at their prime. Yeah. Um, watching those games, watching those wonderful athletes. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone from the '73 team? I know, Dad, that you were always a huge fan of Rusty Stobbs. La uh, Grande Orange. Yeah, uh, Rusty was. Very, very special. Um, It's just the way he walked onto the field. It was like... uh, Cocky. I'm here. (laughs) Okay. And, you know, know, his... uh, The celebration that they had that day when they all came out... Oh, in 86 when they all came out wearing the red wigs. Wearing red wigs was just such a a classic day. Uh, The other... Speaking of classic days is game seven of the 1986 World Series mm-hmm. when the parachute... That's game six. Game six. That's game six. Game six, yes, okay. The parachutist. The parachutist yeah. in, comes, comes into, yes. into Shea. Yes. Um, I'm trying to remember, I, I think... 73, though, yeah, aside, aside from Rusty, that one. Uh, one, of the, one of the people I... Um, Enjoyed watching with early Mets, mm-hmm. with Bud Harrelson, mm-hmm. uh, a great athlete mm-hmm. and a natural you play athlete. Shortstop? Second, uh, was it shortstop or second base? I don't know. But um, 
my memory doesn't go back that far. Mm-hmm. But he was just the consummate uh, professional baseball player and, and unassuming. You know, mm-hmm. he wasn't flashy, but he always, you know, always played and did great. Um, there, there are just so many Mets who, uh, over the years, have been enjoyable to watch. And there are a lot who were forgettable. Uh, <laughs> and thankfully, we've forgotten most of them. Yeah. Speaking of forgetting, I just did a quick Google, and I confirmed the Mets swept the Dodgers in the playoffs in 2006. So that was that's 2006. When that was. That's when that was. Okay. Nine years. Nine years here, nine years there, whatever. Time moves quickly, right. yeah. Yeah. So I guess you could say that we... We we sort of grew up with the the Mets. Certainly, mm-hmm. you know, Dad and I are married fifty one years, and mm-hmm. the Mets are playing fifty five years. Is it? You know, so yeah. it's been pretty much our entire life together. Yeah. The Mets have been a little piece of it, and of course, your love and your enthusiasm has added to our enjoyment. Well, we were talking about this in the podcast a, a few episodes ago. How my earliest memories of being brought to a baseball game were Yankee games. And I remember being brought to a couple of Yankee games and it's like, probably I was like six, like might've been 78 or 79. And I remember going to a playoff game in 1981 between the Yankees and the A's and we sat in the right field bleachers. And that may more than anything else may have inspired me to never ever want to go back to Yankee Stadium. But somehow my first exposure was to the Yankees and it didn't take and at some point, you took me to Mets games, and that was that was what I responded to. But I can't remember what exactly it was that did it. Um, my earliest memory of a Mets player is Frank Tavares. Um, and Mookie Wilson hit first, Frank Tavares hit second. And so many, many times, I guess this would have been 1980 or 1981... Um, Mookie Wilson would lead off with a hit or a single, steal second, and Frank Tavares would bunt him over to third, and we'd have a man on third with one out at the start of the game. And that just stuck in my mind somehow as one of my earliest, earliest Mets memories. Um, You know, our first apartment when we got married in 1967 was five blocks away from Yankee Stadium. mm -hmm. Had no air conditioning, so in the summer, the windows were open. And we always knew when the Yankees hit a home run. We mm-hmm. could just hear it from our apartment. And mm-hmm. uh, we were just not going yeah. over to Yankee yeah. Stadium. Yeah. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Uh, just remembered something that I, I think you might enjoy. My first game that wasn't a Yankees or Mets home game mm-hmm. was at Dodger Stadium. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what year. But for some reason, when the top of the top of the seventh came, I was there. Everybody top left. of the seventh game. No, top of the seventh game came, and I had always been raised that you know the in the seventh inning the home team has uh, the seventh inning stretch. I thought if you were rooting for your team, you got up in the top of the seventh. <laughs> So I got up at the top of the seventh because the Mets were the Mets yeah. were the visiting team, and no one else is standing. And I'm looking around, going, "Well, there are no more Mets, no Mets fans here." Oh. Well, wasn't that the game where everybody left early because of the traffic? Well, that apparently is a a yes. staple at Dodger yes. Stadium. Although having 
since I have lived in Los Angeles for 15 years and I've gone to many, many, many games at Dodger Stadium, um, I've learned two things in the past 15 years. One, the people who leave at the seventh inning are not stupid. They know what they're doing because it takes forever and a day to get out of Chavez Ravine. But we always thought, or like the way that was always spun is that that was a sign of fair weather fandom. Dodgers fans are some of the least fair weather fans I've ever seen. They are really, really intensely, passionately in love with their team. And for the most part, if you're not a Giants fan, for the most part, they're pretty cool with people who come into Dodger Stadium wearing the opposing team's colors. You know, the guy who got beat up in the parking lot in 2015, notwithstanding. Was it the Giants? Uh, no, that was a Mets. Well, there was a Giants fan that was put in a coma a few years ago. Yeah. But in 2015, during the playoffs, there was an altercation in the parking lot where a Mets fan was jumped. But those are those are outliers and those are a handful of bad apples who are doing it. For the most part, I have been treated very, very, very well by Dodgers fans when I've been wearing Mets colors in Dodger Stadium and we have been knocking them out of the playoffs. Um, so shout out to Dodgers fans. Respect. Um, yeah. I got nervous today when they were handing out bats. Yeah, yeah. that was uh, very strange because today was bat day and uh, I, I had read that it was bat day and I thought they were going to give these like these little like three or four inch little miniature bats. These were full size bats and handing handing them out to people and I just can imagine you know why would why would they do that I mean if, if a fight broke out or two people had an argument hey I've got this wooden bat a weapon you know well they were right? plastic they were plastic, but they were, yeah. they were, they were hard plastic hard plastic yeah. so uh in a place where people are drinking beer and yeah. other stuff yes 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 but if, was... if I'd known I would have brought my disco albums to set on fire but <laughs> no so we should probably wrap this up, but before we do, um, are there any other stories, tidbits, anecdotes that you would like to share with the, the Flushing Transit Authority? The, we have a, a, a huge, uh, nay, worldwide audience, <laughs> worldwide reach for this podcast, and we have listeners all across the globe. Are there any last kind of stories or, or things you'd like to share with them? Well, there are other members of the family, uh, dad, dad's sister, Anne, mm -hmm. uh, Annie, and her, and her children are also rabbit Met fans and her grandchildren. So the tradition continues. And uh, my cousin, Sheila, and her family are also uh, very, very uh, rabbit Met fans. So it runs uh, in the family. does run in the family. Yeah. Rabies um, runs in the family. <laughs> the Mets fans also, but yes. And um, thank you, Will, for uh, providing me with many hours of enjoyment listening to you and Jay have their repartee, and uh, I'm very impressed by both your knowledge. Yeah, it's, uh, I have probably uh, forgotten so much information, and you seem to uh, know it all, and, and listening to the two of you brings back lots of memories uh well i hope uh, as we continue if you hear things that bring up more memories that as you remember them send them to me and i will share them with the podcast audience we will thanks a lot mom and dad and um let's say it all together let's, let's go, go mates the mets can frustrate us and the Mets can drive us crazy um, and they will do that at every opportunity 
Um, but there are they're our Mets. <laughs> they are the um, they're the thing we tune in for. They are the the story and the drama that we enjoy seeing unfold. And for me and for so many of the people I know who are Mets fans, um, the reason we keep coming back has less to do with the wins and losses and more to do with the connection that we have to fans and the feeling that we get about the team. Of course, wins and losses are terrific. You know what? Let me back up. Wins are terrific. Losses can be killers. But we keep coming back regardless of the outcome on the field because the Mets are something that brings us all together. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, if you are, um, if you've ever sat down either at a game with me uh, in person or a game that we watched maybe in a bar somewhere or at my house, you know that what we're there for is the experience. Um, in many ways, the sort of community of Mets fans um, are a lot like the sort of family that I choose. Um, the family that, just like any other family, will will make your day and will sometimes break your heart. But you always hold out hope that today is going to be the day that you see something that you never saw before. And as far as I'm concerned, the Mets have got about another 120 games left to make something happen. There is a lot of baseball left to be played. There are a lot of stories left to be told. I would like to thank my co-host, Jay Bushman, for bringing uh, his parents in to tell their stories to us today. And I thank you, as always, for listening to Flushing Transit Authority. Jay and I will be back soon with a uh, regular episode where we will dissect and schmooze and wish good luck to the Mets. Until then, thank you again for being a part of this. Um, thank you for listening to Flushing Transit Authority. And as we say, we will see you at the baseball movies. Thanks a lot.